Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, and here with me, as most of the time, I guess, that sounds weird, Brian Gottlieb. Welcome back, Brian. How you doing? Wow, the ribs. I missed one episode out of the last, I think it's like 120 or something like that, and now I'm completely undependable, and you never know when I'm going to take a week off. You kind of missed two, to be fair. Yeah, I guess I guess that is true. Two episodes, but I'm back now, and I'm excited to talk about magic. And they say absence makes the heart grow fonder, Gerald. And I hope all of our listeners didn't realize that they hated me in the interim while I was away, and are now happy to hear my dulcet tones once more. I don't know, man. If you check the Discord, a lot of rage out there. Well, I don't know. We just had one one. Uh snafu today anyway uh fun times (laughs) life is good uh we're both staying busy we had the mc in richmond last weekend that was something else and scg con this weekend which should be fun yeah two big events uh the first one didn't go all that great for you you were i think in round two in an altercation with cedric phillips right and you were removed from the tournament area i'm pretty sure is what i heard happened Oh, good God. Uh, so I oh one dropped the tournament. It didn't even take that long. I think maybe like five rounds later, people were talking about how I how I got DQ'd and people were making up stories. So that was interesting. Oh, you mean that didn't happen? I was 100% sure that was actually what went on. Yeah, you're not helping, Brian. <laughs> you know, people had some questions, as you can understand. There's not a lot of folks who go oh one at a PT, but now you are one of the few who can claim that record. Is it really that weird? Like, do do y'all know me? Have y'all followed my tournament results at all? So in your context, it's not particularly weird. But I would bet in the overall history of the PT, that is not a record that exists all that many times. Like, maybe none, quite possibly. I don't know. That's cool. Yeah. Just, break, just Jerry T breaking more records. <laughs> love it. You love to see it. Add it to the eventual Hall of Fame speech. No, I don't know. I guess people want explanations. So I already did not particularly want to play in this tournament. Uh, it was my last invite. And I don't know. It's like, like I, I feel like a weird obligation to to play in the tournaments. And it was like, well, if I have one last invite, I'll give it the old college try or whatever. And it's like I, I was kind of busy last couple weeks with just a lot of different like pioneer stuff and content things that came up and things going on behind the scenes and everything and did not really play a lot of standard. I certainly talked about standard with a lot of people and tried out a few non Simic decks just to like, you know, cross them off the list, I guess. And definitely did not draft because I don't really enjoy drafting. It doesn't really help with the content that I produce or anything. So I was not super prepared, but I felt well prepared. You know, it was like it was one of those things where it's like I haven't actually been in the trenches myself, but I have been talking to a lot of people and reading things, and it's just like through osmosis. You know, I believe it. I've prepared for PTs that way and have gotten to a reasonable place. So it's it's something you can realistically do. But it sounds like your focus was just on other things heading into this tournament. That's fine. You wanted to make good pioneer content and talk about what our listeners want to hear. And felt like the best use of your time was focusing on that stuff. And uh, I'm sure our listeners appreciated that a whole lot. And it was a good tournament 
in terms of connecting with our listeners, I think both you and I got to see a lot of folks. We shared a house with a bunch of folks from our Discord who we've known for a very long time, good friends of ours, and we had a great time there. So it was a nice tournament overall, even if the results were not forthcoming. And also a very worthy champion of the MC, which we always like to see, Andre Strosky, claiming the number one spot on the clout rankings one more time by winning the Mythic Championship. Not a bad performance at all. Yeah, he's back, baby. All right, rewind. We're we're coming back to me because I didn't really finish my explanation. So, okay, sorry, I cut you off. No, it's all good. It's all good. I talk about Andre instead of me. That that makes a lot of sense, actually. But yeah, I don't know. I I drafted a pretty reasonable deck. I opened a rankle and then just kind of put my head down. Stayed in mono black. Got a lot of decent rewards. Played a pretty reasonable round one match. I uh, just ended up losing and was just like, you know what? This is not for me. I'm out. I knew that there was going to be a lot of Simic mirrors. And while I don't normally shy away from mirrors, this is one that is like, I don't know, like kind of frustrating, I guess. It's like if they have Goose and you don't, or if they have Oko and you don't, things just kind of spiral out of control. And I think the the Saltai deck certainly looked very good. They just annihilated the non-food decks and then did pretty well in food mirrors and I mean, I imagine things are going to get banned or whatever, but it's like, yeah, they probably broke it, which is pretty rad to see even in a format like this. But yeah, it was just like, yeah, I'm not really feeling this tournament. And I just, you know, went and sat in a corner. Did I have my computer on me this day? No, maybe I had like Austin bring the computer later or something. Shout out to Austin Cook. And yeah, I just sat in the corner and just like hammered out some work stuff, solved a bunch of problems. It was great. I felt great about my day. And then people started telling me that they heard I got DQ'd. And it's like, all right, that's weird. Uh, so kind of put a damper on things, but no, overall, I don't regret my decision. I think I spent my time pretty wisely and I don't know. It's also kind of weird. Cause they're like, if you had, they made some announcement that if you had like X status during PT Barcelona earlier this year, you're qualified for some other stuff. And since I left the MPL, I don't really know what my status was like. And I guess hmm. actually now thinking about it, I was like, Oh, I'm pretty sure they paid for my flight. So like maybe I had status, but I think that might've actually come from the team series thing. So yeah, maybe I am just off. Well, that will be an interesting question to answer when this next MC rolls around. We'll see if you are qualified or not. I mean, you've been playing, I don't don't know. You've been playing MCQs like you aren't qualified, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, but so I guess I everyone in, has, cause they only announced that this weekend. So that's, that's not right. So, so they announced it this weekend and I played in a modern MCQ to play with devoted Druid just to make sure the deck was as bad as I thought it was. And it was, uh, so that was good, but yeah, it was just one of those situations where, uh, Scott Larrabee was like, if you come up and ask me individual questions, I'm not going to answer them because I don't want to talk to 500 people. I know that basically none of y'all know whether or not you're qualified and we'll post that stuff online at some point. So it's like, all right, Scott is telling me not to ask him if I'm qualified and that the information for whether or not I'm qualified is anywhere. And I had all these people asking me if like they could play in the PTQ, if they should play in the PTQ. And it's like, just play because like they're literally tell, telling you that they're not going to tell you if you're qualified or not, you know? Right. I, I think it's hard to hold anyone accountable for that decision in that scenario. Yeah, man. I don't know. I used to enjoy competing a lot and it gave me some sort of, you know, self-esteem boost or like it was tied to my sense of self-worth or whatever. And it's just like, I don't really have that. I don't really need it anymore. And I've felt this way a lot 
even just over like the last decade and a half where I, I conceded to a lot of people like pretty deep in tournaments because I felt like it mattered more to them than it did to me. And obviously there's like a lot of weirdness there where it's like, well, does it actually matter to them if I concede and then they didn't like quote unquote earn it or whatever? That's up for them to decide. You know, it's like I would ask people if they'd want me to concede to them. They would say, yes, I would concede and then just, you know, continue playing the tournament now that I'm out of contention or whatever. So I've done that a few times. I've dropped from some tournaments at like five and one, six and one, five and two. There's more to life, you know, like just because you register for a tournament doesn't mean that you are beholden to actually finishing it out. Look, you know, I am all about shaping your relationship with magic in the way that best suits you. I think it's the key to longevity. I think it's a key to your personal happiness. When you're as invested in the game as you and I are, you have to you have to understand what points of it work for you. Because if you try and do everything at some point, you will burn out, you'll find yourself overwhelmed, or you'll just be unhappy. And none of those things are good outcomes. So you really honing in on exactly what you want to do in this space. Uh, I rib you about it sometimes. I give you a hard time. But ultimately, I do support you engaging exactly how you want to in the way that's best for you. And I have done the same thing for a very long time. It would be very hypocritical for me to question the way you're going to go about the game at this stage of your career. Props to you for knowing exactly what you want. And how do you, I mean, I guess I would ask, like, how do you see yourself competing in this invitational? Is it going to be the same thing where you're looking to do a couple of rounds and get out? Or do you find a reason why you're particularly fired up for this event and you really want to do well? Or where's your head at going into this event? Well, first, let me say that I've certainly given you crap for like not wanting to participate in tournaments and stuff, but a lot of it has always been you giving me excuses. And I don't know if that is like, maybe you're not self-aware enough to know exactly what's going on, or you are self-aware and you just don't want to tell me the real reason or whatever. So like, whenever I try to convince you to play a PTQ or, or, you know, whatever it is, go to a Grand Prix, I do believe that I am trying to have your best interests in heart where it's like, you know, get out, see the people. It's, it's good for you. Good for the brand. Good for people to be interacting with you. And it's good for you to actually be a presence in the community because you're a good person and will have a good influence on them. But like, I, I realize that we're in the same place where it's just like actually competing in the tournaments doesn't really matter all that much to us. It doesn't give us, uh, as much satisfaction as it did if we, you know, take a tournament down or whatever, and our time could just be spent better doing other things like making content, which then helps other people and also gives us a sense of enjoyment and fulfillment. Right. I think I also just want to add a caveat to that is like, while my performance in an individual tournament may not have a lot of bearing on how I feel about myself and the things I'm trying to accomplish, finding the right deck for a tournament definitely does like that is something yeah, it's always I will, great i will always care about and the fact is i would in most instances rather give the right deck to someone else than have it for myself like that means more to me and in fact leading up to this invitational i tested both these formats a bunch and tried a bunch of stuff and really tried to uh, find some good options and i always knew i wasn't playing there was no chance i was going to be participating in the invitational and i think i succeeded pretty hard in one of the formats second one not quite as sure but yeah i i think it's just knowing like what sparks you what gets you going what you really want to achieve and as far as like 
my opting out of various things. Sometimes it's just easier to be like, oh, I have this going on and then to say, I don't think this will make me happy right now because I could instead, you know, spend time with my wife or because I don't want to be around people right now because I'm a little burnt out. And it's just easier to drop excuses sometimes, I think. And we all do it. But Those maybe that's poor excuses, communication. Though. No, no, you're right. Like I, I'm replacing what is a very valid excuse with like something else a lot of the times. And I think you're that's just, you're like you're like oh I don't have cards or whatever. And it's like yeah I have the right. full seventy five. Like right, come on right. man, you know like I will run you out of excuses. Just tell me what's really going on. Like that's basically all I want to have happen. Sure. And I think we have conditioned ourselves to approach these type of issues in that way a lot of the times because the way people talk with each other, there's just not a lot of frankness a lot of the times. You know, we mask a lot of what's really going on, especially when it comes to our own happiness and our own perceptions of things. And sometimes it's just a lot easier to just be like, nah, this isn't for me right now. I'm not feeling it. I'm going to do something else. Um, well, I caught I caught a lot of the opposite of that this weekend where people were like, why would you do this? I would never do it. Therefore, you should never do it. And it's like, how about you try and think about what's best for me right. and what I want? That that would be cool. You know, what a what a strange and novel idea that would be, right? Yeah. So I think with your situation, and we're, we're so far off topic, but I do think this is interesting. I, th- I think with your situation, there's a tension in the fact that so many people try so hard to achieve what you have. And there is a little bit of sting, I think, to people sometimes where they would do anything for that opportunity and you're not interested in it. And that's not to diminish the way you feel. It's just, and I don't think people are consciously doing this. I think this is a subconscious thing that they do when they push you to try and participate in these type of things. And that was the next thing I wanted to talk about, actually, because in my mind, and I've been thinking about this a decent amount because of the sort of backlash that I've gotten from stuff like this, where it's like, is it just because of like a place of privilege with me where I am now at a place where I don't, I don't feel like the PTs are a big deal. Uh, Certainly like me having success in the past, it's a lot easier for me to just be like, well, it's, you know, it's, it's not that important. Like I, I won one of them. I've top aided three of them. I have like some, you know, a handful of like cash finishes besides that and have been gold for a bunch of years and stuff like that. And it's just like, well, it, it just kind of loses its luster after a while. And certainly in regards to like how the MPL was handled and just how organized play has been handled the last few years and how the communication has been really bad. And it doesn't seem like they really care about players and stuff. It's really hard for me to actually get fired up about participating in this system when it is like this. Yeah, that's entirely defensible. And I think a lot of other people feel the same way and I don't know what I was talking about. Oh, I was talking about this in regards to the mystery sealed. Sometimes it's really hard to line up your actions with what is actually important to you because of societal pressures or because of like basically this exact situation where you have a privilege and you don't want to let other people down who are supporting you. And when I was traveling to the MC this weekend, it was Thursday, there was a last chance qualifier and there was a mystery sealed and they were at basically the same time. And I'm like, I think I'm supposed to be trying to qualify for this PT because I'm making the effort to go out there, but I really want to play this mystery sealed and see what it's all about. This is a once in a lifetime thing. Uh, I'll never get to do this again. I've played bunches of PTs. I'll probably play more PTs in the future. I need to focus on what's important. And I had to talk myself into doing the thing that in my heart, I knew I wanted to do. I still had to fight through all these layers until I could get to that place. And if, if you asked me, I would have told you to play in the mystery sealed. 
Right. And a lot of people did. And I could tell they were looking out for me and they were thinking my best, my own best interests. And I, I appreciated that. It was really good advice I got from a lot of people. Good. Because like you said, it's a once in a lifetime thing. And if you were there, if you were in Richmond, like you could feel it, you know, yeah. it was, no, it was very, it, it was just very similar to like the, the Hunter Burton Memorial every year. I found like the energy to be very similar to command fest too, where it's just like, people are enjoying magic and mm-hmm. there's, there's no like bad beat stories. There's no people like really bummed out that they miss qualifying by like half a percentage point in tiebreaker or whatever, you know, it's just like all of the sad garbage that is associated with high level magic was just gone and people were just having fun, man. And it's just so rad. Yeah, it was awesome. And it extended, it wasn't like you say that, but it wasn't casual people engaging with it in that way. No. And that's not like a diminutive label. Don't take it that way. I, you can engage with the game however you want. But I, I mean, I was just playing PT player after PT player throughout the rounds. Like I played round one against Oliver Pollock rotman and then my next two opponents were both playing the PT the next day. It's just playing for the love of the game and really appreciating something unique. And you could feel it in all the interactions. Like everyone was just stoked to see these new I guess not new cards, in some cases, new cards when it comes to the test cards, but this new packaging, this new exciting way to play magic, everyone was really into it. Yeah. And Oliver and I had a few conversations this weekend where he's gone from like pro player to vendor to, oh, like I kind of have this itch, you know, I'll go play in a few GPs instead of vending them or whatever. And then he kind of like qualified randomly and he's like, no, cool. Like I'm excited to play like a pro tour a year that's that's about as much competitive drive as i have left in me but like the rest of the time i should just probably be making money you know and he enjoys it too you know it's like it's a it's a different sort of competition for him similar to how putting out content that is better and better is a competition for me absolutely so anyway uh this is this is 20 minutes of of nonsense i guess Uh, i feel like this should have just been a head games episode or something uh, people are clamoring for those head games episodes. Maybe it's maybe it's time to pull Jonathan out of retirement and get that going again. Because I get that question so so often. It's crazy. Probably more people talk to me still about head games than do about this podcast, and it blows my mind. Well, it's b- because head games is gone, probably right? Because we sure took it away from them because <laughs> yeah. they're angry. Right? They they know that this podcast is going to show up every week. Right. Anyway, Andre is gas and yes. talking about mental game and where your head is at and stuff. I mean, at one point, maybe two points, he was thinking about retiring. He was done. And I don't know, like maybe streaming brought him back or the fact that like Yvonne and Stan are playing with them and they're having fun, just like breaking formats and playing on arena and qualifying for things that way or whatever. But like kid is just happy. He's all smiles, which, you know, like normally he was right. But Definitely, there was a period where it's like, you know, he, he came out of the gates too quick. He top aided two of his first four PTs or something like that, and then right. kind of tapered off a little bit after that. And you could tell it was like kind of getting to him. And then, you know, some some more rough finishes, like maybe ending in like kind of bad ways or whatever, where it's just like it's it's kind of depressing. And you're just like, why am I even doing this? You know, but now it just seems like he's enjoying himself. He's having fun with the game. And look what happens. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. The way you engage with the game can often dictate your successes. And that sounds a little new age-ish and like 
obviously you still have to play the cards, but you find the focus that you need to succeed at this level when you're really enjoying yourself. And like you said, I got the sense that he was really enjoying himself. I'm very happy for Andre. I hope he keeps it going. I hope he ends up with that MPL spot and this just all comes together in the best possible way for him. Yeah, it's it's kind of storybook too, where when he was a kid at his first PT, he introduced himself to Paula and was like, dude, you're my hero or whatever. And then he gets to beat him in the finals. Like that's yeah. perfect. Oh, that's awesome. And awesome story. I love Andre to death and I'm not sure whether or not I'm actually rooting for him to make the MPL because I don't want the same thing to happen. Well, you, know, you want like him. I, you want him to have the choice, though. Like you, yes. He, you want the best possible outcome for him. Yes. Yes. Uh, but I feel like if if we get to see him like continuing to have that fighting spirit, maybe like a near miss, put him in rivals, get to see him crush rivals. Like that's a good storyline too. Sure. That's that's kind of like selfish. You know, it's like I, I want to see people like Andre who have that drive to succeed actually get there and do it like it is just a good story and i mean certainly he deserves mpl like he is a absolute world class player he is very very good and also you know like like you've been talking up like the the clout rankings right like his deck selection is just on point Mm -hmm. and yeah he's he's world class man like he he should be in the mpl absolutely and I, i hope that works out in that fashion i am not following that particularly closely i think it is still undecided as of this moment let me know when we can breathe a sigh of relief and he has locked up his invitation. Yeah, there's like a, an arena MC left, I think. Right. And who man. knows who gets invited to the arena MC. So. I, yeah, I don't know, man. <sighs> okay. uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, Paulo and Andre both playing Simic Food. Deck I registered is like pretty similar to theirs. I think I had some cool things with my deck, like very small things, but... You know, maybe maybe their list was a little bit better. They had more Aether Gusts than I did. And I don't know. That, that card's fine, but it hasn't really impressed me as far as like a mirror breaker type of thing. So I was just like, yeah, I can I can get by with fewer copies of these. But it is it is cool seeing that like, you know, I didn't play magic I didn't play standard for two weeks and registered the deck that is pretty close to the one that won the tournament. Sure. Yeah, it validates your process. Very nice to see. I mean, where does standard go from here? Any predictions as to some, something's happening on Monday? Is that just a foregone conclusion at this point? Nobody doubts that. Ban it all. Just burn <laughs> just it all just to the blow ground. Blow it up. Start over. Yeah, I wouldn't hate Scorch that. Scorched Earth, man. Let's let's just ban. I don't know, ten cards. I would. I would love that. I. I really would. I think things just got things just got out of hand at some point. It feels like we need a pretty hard reboot when it comes to standard for sure. Yeah, I don't know. I mean. The, so the number, right, like 69% of players playing Oko in the PT in some form or fashion is just completely absurd and unprecedented. I don't think that even tells the story of how bad it is, though. That's that's the whole problem with that number. Ooh, explain. Well, so there's other issues. There's like the consistency issue with Once Upon a Time and the one-drop accelerants being super meaningful and the repetitive game states and the fact that every single deck is just this stupid Rube Goldberg machine. Like, I don't want to put together all these finicky pieces and have that be the only realistic way to play the games. It's all about these really tiny micro decisions on every turn, especially when you come to like the Sultai food strategy, Sultai cat the triggers and the interaction is just like stuff like that is fine in small doses, but every single match of magic feels that way. There was an unprecedented number of draws in this tournament. And I want to know think, the numbers on that. 
Uh, I saw them. I think it was like the most since PT New Orleans in 2005 or six or something like that. It was a very, very high number. I think 59 draws before they were, there were intentional draws even in play or something like that. That was uh, the Tinker PT. How is that possible? That might not be the right one. I'm very generally speaking about the information I saw on Twitter. I think, what's the Twitter account that always tweets out the Pro Tour information? Uh, like AJ, I, do you know which one I'm talking about? I'm, I'm going to look it up so we don't butcher it. I know okay. that this yeah, person get, was get in right. Denver. You know what I'm talking about. This person was in Denver and I think also in Richmond. And I want to meet this person because they are just a delight. Amazing. Uh, They do a tremendous amount of work for the PT scene and keeping track of all this information. Here it is. AJLVI is the Twitter account. There it is. And I think this is the account behind the ELO project, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, and I'm not following them for some reason, so I'm going to fix it. Idiot. Follow them right now, first of all, is step one. Step two is uh, check this out. And there is discussion, I believe, on this account about the number of draws in this tournament. Here it is. This is a tweet that says there were 59 draws this weekend, the most since Worlds 2005, where there was 79. That event had 18 rounds of Swiss. You have to go back to PT New Orleans 2001 for a smaller PT where there were 61 draws at that PT. Uh, they also talk about the no draw streaks that all these players had, and this yep. PT finally ended them. Yep. <laughs> it should not count. Yeah, kind of shouldn't. And like I said, I think multiple issues going on right now with standard. I would love a scorched earth approach. I don't know if that's what we're going to get, but my fingers are crossed for dramatic changes on Monday because I I usually make the best out of every format. I do not enjoy this one. I'm really trying. I'm trying to find something I like about it. And I, I buy the argument that some people say these food mirrors are super skill intensive and they are. In some instances, and the rest of the time, nothing you do matters whatsoever. Like your opponent just snowballs the game immediately. And the really good games are really good, but the bad games are too frequent. They're too similar. It's just turn one accelerant into turn three planeswalker over and over. And uh, I'm just done with it. I'm done with the three mana planeswalkers. I'm done with one mana accelerants. I am mostly done with once upon a time. I want something fresh. Yeah, I'm in for that. I mean... I do think that there is something to be said for appreciating like all the micro decisions and stuff like that. But certainly when so like in legacy or vintage or whatever, it's like you have a bunch of micro decisions, but the game is over on turn four Mm -hmm. and that is manageable. Yes. Having the games be about micro decisions is a huge barrier to entry. uh, So should not really be applicable to standard just in general, but also in games of standard where games typically go on longer, this is just unacceptable. Right. right. I'm right there with you. So I appreciate it from just like a technical play standpoint. Like it is really cool and really impressive to see people manage these game states perfectly, but sure. it's, it's, it's too much. And you know, something, something's going to happen. Something's going to change. I don't know what it is. I don't really see a point in actually, you know, discussing it or talking about it. Cause there's a lot of different branching decision trees that could happen. Right. So, We'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, time will tell. I do have, looks like, a tournament on Tuesday for Twitch Rivals, I think. I'm pretty sure I'm in this tournament. And that is the day after 
ban announcements. So that'll be kind of a quick turnaround, figuring out exactly what the best deck will be. We'll see how that goes, given what happens. Uh, but should be a lot of fun. I, I like getting first crack at new formats for sure. Well, <clears throat> man, am I supposed to sign up for this tournament? Like, I probably already missed well, you, the boat, but... Yeah, you missed it. I, I literally messaged you when it went live and told I you know. to sign up for it. I don't know. You told me to sign up. You didn't tell me that we could be like competing in it together. What? what? I don't understand. What did you? I, you didn't think I was going to participate? Yeah, I don't know. I thought you had something else going on. I'm going to register no, anyway. Maybe they'll pick me. Maybe, there is an alternate list. Sure. Get get yourself on the list. This this says attendees 372. All right, I'm I'm number 373. Nice. Let's let's see if I do it. Well, I've got my fingers crossed. Are you here. excited? Hopefully, we'll be able to figure it out together. You. You got a little sweat going. Isn't this nice? I'm excited to play. I mean, I don't think you're going to get to. If you do, that'll be nice. I, I have my own sweat to worry about for the time being. I tried to get you in. You weren't responsive. You're dead to me now. Oh, dude, that's harsh. All right. Do you remember my MTGA screen name from all of our brawl challenges? No. Why would, why would I know that offhand? No, I have to look at mine every single time I register for one of these things. Oh, sorry. I guess I can't register. All right. You tried. Man. Talk about me making excuses. Your excuse is you don't know your MTGA name. No, I mean, my excuse before was like, it just didn't seem like it would be fun. But like, if I could hang out and chat with you in between rounds, that's a game changer. You know, that's like this, the actual social aspect of magic, right? Sure. And I think new formats are fun too. Does that not play? No, that, that checks out. Right. But it's not fun if I'm just sitting there by myself. I promise you won't be alone, Jerry. I will take care of you. Well, now I know that. I'm going to continue regging for this thing. Let's talk about modern. Okay. Let's talk about why we're talking about modern. SCG Con, baby. Correct. Both of us headed there. You to play, me to cast. But very excited for this tournament, which will be the big stage debut of Pioneer. Yeah, I'm, I am super excited about that. Uh, so you asked me at some point, like, what my headspace was like, right? Do you want to? Yes. Ooh, it says registration limit reached. Oh, and I just, I can't even register? I'm sorry, Brian. Too late. It's okay. We'll get him next time. 372. Maybe I might do the awful thing and just message Frodan directly. Trying to cash in those clout points. I'm trying. I don't know. It, it's funny because he, so I went out to dinner with uh, Brittany, MTG Nerd Girl, and some other people on Thursday. And she was telling me about this tournament and I was like, oh, like Frodan messaged me to like, you know, ask me about, you know, just tournament structure sort of things. Like if there was not a ban list update, like whether or not they should play the tournament with their own enforced bans or whatever, if people would like that sort of stuff. But at no point did he tell me that I should register for the tournament. Uh, I guess you're not welcome in this tournament, Gerald. You just wanted Maybe. your feedback. You were, you're not supposed to be participating in it. Didn't think your clout rating was high enough presently. So, Well, no, it's, or maybe- it's weird, right? Because I, I don't think he's just DMing anyone, right? I played one Twitch Rivals like a year ago, but clearly he values my opinion for some reason. Right. So you would think that I, maybe you just thought that I wasn't interested, which given my history, like is a pretty reasonable assumption. <laughs> right. Anyway, maybe you thought you were just going to owe one drop the Twitch Rivals as well. So I'm not doing it. that. No. So last <laughs> Twitch Rivals, I actually got mad because people were dropping like, yo, they're paying you to to show up and play in this tournament and stream it. Like, right. 
you right. it can't just drop right like if that is i said that if it wasn't explicitly in the rules which it wasn't then it should be like that should just be the expectation i don't care if you got mana screwed you're here to work yeah fandom basically the expectation is you play all the rounds and i think that's completely reasonable just maintain the structure of the tournament give props for being invited to something really cool and give your tournament organizers a good solid product that they can put on right you're you're paying for the advertising you know like the least you can do is be thankful that someone is like an outside organization wants to come into magic and spend their money here. Right. Like mm-hmm. help them out, do your job. Yeah. And I so. just think as magic players, like emphasizing the fact that we are a good group to work with, like you can do good esports products with us as your players is an important thing for these organizations to see. Like you should make that very clear. Yeah. And I mean, you know, Frodan is messaging me for free advice. I will give it to him. 100% of the time, whenever, yep. you know, I'll, ch- I'll check my DMs. And if it, I have five DMs from, you know, even acquaintances, right. But I see Frodan, like I'll make it a point to respond to his because it's likely a business related question. You know, it's like, sure. I, I, I have respect for that anyway. Uh, and sorry, all the folks who are just lingering in my DMs, I apologize, but um, <laughs> my headspace for the envy, I love the envies, dude. I, I like playing against these people. There are a lot of like up and coming magic players like these kids on the SCG tour who I don't know, like me, Todd, Tom Ross, Brad, BBD have all like mostly graduated or whatever you want to call it. You know, it's like they they just got sucked into like GPs and PTs. And you see that happening with some of the SCG kids too, like Abe winning the GP this last weekend in Richmond. Right. Sure. And I just I. I just kind of want to go there and like teach them a lesson, you know, like that, that's the, that's the thing that goes on in my head where it's like, I just want to show these kids how it's done. You know, they got, they're really good, but they have a lot to learn. And, you know, maybe, maybe uncle Jerry can show it to him if he's he's still got chops. Look, if you're going to say that you better bring it this weekend. Cause if these kids come and dust you, you're going to have some excuse making to do when we come back next week. So what you got, you got something you're excited about in both these formats. Look, man, maybe the excuse is, all right, I don't got it, you know? Like, <laughs> okay. I know that excuse maybe, very well. Yeah, maybe maybe both my decks win the tournament. It's just like me as a pilot can't hack it. I don't know. Sure. I, I I think I play okay still, but the last NV, I finished out day one. I win five and three. I was pretty happy with my modern deck, but did not like my standard deck. So I was like, eh, whatever. Like, I'll drop and lounge around, just hang out with folks. And that was a lot of fun for me rather than hoping that I like 7-0 or 8-0 to be able mm-hmm. to make top 8. Sure. So for this one, I don't know. Like if I think that for whatever reason, one of my decks is just like purely a disaster, then I will drop. And if it were a single format tournament, I thought my deck was a disaster, I would then also drop. So it's it's harder because you have two formats to prepare for and a limited amount of time. And my time has been split in a lot of ways in the last few weeks. But yeah, I think I'm in a good spot. Pioneer, there's so many sweet things that I want to try. And it's kind of sad because I think there's only a few decks that are actually viable. Mm-hmm. And then modern. Oh man, modern. I don't know. I have a, a small passage in my article this week about I had this kind of like love-hate relationship with modern. And then it was like, okay, yeah, this is this is actually getting to a point where it's pretty good. And I was kind of like enjoying the format, enjoying the games, enjoying the deck building and everything. Stoneforge Mystic got unbanned. That was a fun time. I got to brew a bunch of decks around this card that I actually like a lot. And 
Now the format is in a place where I should be happy because the two best decks are just like mid-range decks, but then there's like always the the looming presence of big mana, right? Mm-hmm. And then I play a lot of games of Pioneer, and I'm like, wow, this format is like legit great. It has a lot of nostalgia because a lot of these decks are based on decks that I got to play in standard with just, you know, you're mix and matching various decks. And and that is just cool to me. And I really like it. I really enjoy it. Like the last five or six years of my life, I have a lot of fond memories, like, you know, grinding SCG tour events and, you know, trying to tune my deck every single week and uh, got my first PT top eight in gate crash which was returned to Ravnica block. So it's like, it's like right around that time where it's like, yeah, I was, I was kind of crushing it and it felt good. So to then be given the opportunity to play with like Jace friends prodigy again, it's like, well, you know, sign me up for that. That's what I want to do. And then modern just kind of pales in comparison. Mostly agree with you. I think as far as just strict gameplay goes, pioneer is about the best magic has to offer right now. I have enjoyed so, so many of my games of pioneer And like you said, we're starting to filter down the metagame a little bit. It wasn't going to stay a 100-deck metagame forever, so we knew this was coming. But I do think that the general gameplay is good. Although you mentioned the looming presence of big mana in Modern, I think we might be starting to see some of that in Pioneer. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's start with the Modern modern first. And your point is two best decks or mid-range decks. And I am assuming you were talking about Urza. And Grixis Death Shadow? Yeah, you could make a case for Saltai and maybe Jun, but definitely Death Shadow something. Okay. And the Simic Urza decks, I would very much classify as mid-range because, you know, you have like some amount of interaction and some good threats and this sort of combo-y endgame kind of, even though it doesn't come up all that often, but most of the time you're just like dealing with what your opponent does and winning with value or some overwhelming advantage. Yeah, it feels very Jundy to me and very fair. I think that tracks. I I think especially in these new configurations, you're just generating some value across a lot of turns, trying to stay alive. Uh, Some versions of the Urza decks even giving up the combo at this point. I don't agree with that. I would would keep around the Thopter Foundries. In fact, I uh, played an extra copy of Thopter Foundry in my Urza list from the PTQ this past weekend. But on the whole, that's not the focus of the deck. You are just supposed to use your answers very judiciously, find exactly the way you need to buy yourself some time, and then your cards just at some point become more powerful than your opponents when they combine in this really insane way, and you leverage that and run away with the game at some point. Yeah, so that deck kind of crushed SCG Atlanta, is that right? That is correct. Right location. Yeah. Yep. That was its and, debut. And also it it absolutely dominated. It wasn't really the debut, right? Like people had been playing it. And like I, pl- I played a local tournament that weekend and there were like six people playing it. So as far as I know, that was the debut because it came from the Lotus Box Patreon and people picking up the deck there. And look, there was a lot of people playing it at the event and we asked them and basically all of them were like, yeah, it came from the Lotus box Patreon. And I think Zan was streaming with it earlier in the week. And that's, that's uh, probably where I caught it. Yeah. Sam black had his hands in it at some point as well. So some visible people began working on the deck and everyone just picked it up for that weekend. Yeah. And and they smushed everyone. I mean, Rixis defeated devoted Druid in the top eight. And the winner of that was 
pretty well set up to cleave through a field of those Ursa decks. And mm-hmm. that, that did end up happening. It did. And uh, listen to MTG Grindcast with Collins Mullins, who got second. And yeah, he said that Druid was a bad matchup and like Shadow's close and stuff. I mean, I think that Shadow's probably a little bit worse than he's giving it credit for, but like uh, also a fine magic podcast if y'all need more things to do on your commutes or whatever. But uh, yeah, the, the deck seems very good. And especially for an SCG tournament where you know that all of the SCG big ringers are going to be in attendance and they have an affinity for this sort of strategy. And there are definitely a lot of people in attendance who are following the SCG tour and what's going on and what decks are good. And that's basically been like the only place for modern in the last few weeks. So I, I would imagine that if they don't find something better, a lot of the Lotus box people will just be playing it. And uh, certainly just a, lo- a lot of the random folks will be playing it too. So it might actually just be the most popular deck in the tournament. I think that's reasonable. So what you doing with that information? I, I think the clear point going forward is you can just play Grixis Death Shadow. Seems to have a fine matchup. Seems to be a totally fine modern deck. The things that generally gave it a really hard time have started to be squeezed out of the format a little bit. I'll also point to the fact that Amulet on the SCG tour is very widely represented. Grixis Death Shadow has found a very good Amulet matchup with its recent configuration. So that's another point in your favor. And I just kind of buy this as a very good choice. And there's a lot of people who want to play this style of magic. They have been talked off of it by the realities of modern. The fact that strategies like this have not been good historically, and you're just supposed to do something more linear and degenerate, but it feels like this deck is getting back to a very nice place once more. Yeah. Didn't, the Urza deck also win both PTQs in Richmond. It won at least one. I know that Dylan, Dylan Donigan. Donigan took one down. I'm trying to remember what won the second one. Dylan Donigan of Lotus Box. It should be noted. Correct. Correct. Yeah, Shadow's good. I was an advocate for that deck uh, a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago at this point, and that hasn't really wavered. Things like Humans has not really risen back to prominence or anything. And I, I think understandably so, although like it, it does make me wonder if like humans would be a good choice for this weekend, but whatever I, I could just play the Urza deck. I do think it is pretty good. I feel like something is missing though. And I haven't done the, the cursory research needed to be able to find that and, you know, give it like the last bit of fine tuning that it probably needs, but I'm, I'm sure that there are innovations that can be made to the, the archetype. I would probably start with a 20th land for starters. Seems reasonable. I also like Dismember quite a bit. Most lists just playing Fatal Push. I think Dismember is a slightly better removal spell right now. Other than that, I was pretty happy with the stock list. Didn't do all that well, but I was definitely in the learning phase with the deck. That was the first games I ever played were when I sat down for the PTQ and there were some things I had to learn. I was happy to get those out of my system. Feel like I understand the deck much better now. And I I think it's just good. I don't think it's like problematically good. I think there's very reasonable adaptations you can make to target the strategy. And that's what I would be doing if I were playing the Invitational. I would be looking to go over top of these Urza decks in a lot of ways. How about you? Where, Where are you at? going into what are we about two days out now yeah you you would not just want to try and play the best deck no because i think i have a legitimate legitimate second option that has Mm. been very very strong in my testing and 
targets the quote unquote best deck in a lot of ways and just has nice matchups in other spots. So if that were not the case, I would be playing Urza, but I found something and it's rare that you find something and I'm pretty excited about it. And that is what I would be bringing to the Invitational. Cool. Yeah. Hmm. Hearing you talk about it now, I feel like, oh man, maybe, maybe you're going to save me from doing what I typically do in Invitationals where I don't top eight and even some of the ones where I do top eight, which is play the absolute best list in one of the formats and then just like some garbage notebook brew in the other format that just train wrecks my tournament. So uh, (laughs) the modern deck that I was planning on playing and I I am going to write about it, so it'll be up on Friday on Star City is basically Sam Black's Sultai control deck, except with a clock. It's It's a novel concept, but hear me out. I think so. That you're saying you actually want to win games of Magic? I'm very confused. I prefer to let, n- let them drag out in perpetuity. No, I don't want to win games, but I do feel like it's a necessary evil. Uh, I see. I see. So that's just that, that's just one of those things where it's like, well, I mean, if if I wanted to make this deck better, this is what I would do. So I guess I'm doing it. Basically, I I have this blue black deck that. I 4-0 dropped a league with because I didn't want it to get, to get published because I was like, this is where my mindset is, right? And I have technology for modern that I also did not want to get published or for Pioneer rather. So like, I'm dude, I'm hiding secrets. You yeah, know that's, that's that intense. Is? That's an intense commitment. Now I'm sure you're going to share those secrets with our patrons at some point, correct? Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll just share it on the podcast because it's going to go up Thursday night and okay, no sure. one cares anyway, that works. but... Yeah, so playing this blue-black deck with Drown in the Lock and Into the Story and Thought Scour targeting you also have the Cryptic Command, Mystic Sanctuary, Endgame, which has been honestly pretty impressive. I thought it was, you know, just going to be like this thing that kind of like delayed the game or whatever, but uh, especially in Demir, you are very good at just denying both players resources, like forcing both players to play this low econ game. And then, you know, if, if you're a cryptic command up on your opponent, well, they're, they're kind of sunk. So it has actually been very powerful and very good. And then certainly like if you're a cryptic command up and you have a death shadow in play or whatever, then, you know, you're, you're super money. But yeah, I, I don't know. I kind of wanted to play a bunch of thought seizes because thought seizes is great. And yep. a lot of these decks have cards that inquisition doesn't hit that, are very good dismember as you noted is just far and away the best removal spell in the format right now i don't think it's particularly close yep and obviously there are some problems there with like goblin guide or maybe big death shadows or whatever but yeah dismember is just so clean and a lot of decks just aren't really pressuring you so it's very close to free and it just that yeah at that point it was like well i want to play all these cards that are good with death shadow why am i not just playing death shadow and then thinking about the games of Death Shadow that I've lost and, you know, so on and so forth. And I just kind of ended up like shuffling these two decks together where I have a thing that is very good, but at the same time, I think can be iterated on. So I'm kind of looking at that in my spare time as far as like, you know, should I add a color or like, is this even the right counter suite or how many cantrips should I play and stuff like that. And then the, the biggest thing is like, is Death Shadow even the right card? Like, Maybe I could trim down on Dismembered Thoughtseize and Watered Grave, despite how much I like those cards and how much work they do for the strategy and in the format in general, and just play like Brazen Borrower or Tassiger or something. 
That's interesting. Tassiger in particular is a card that has, it's made me sad how quickly that card has fallen off the radar. I think it's extremely powerful. I played it a little bit in Pioneer and had my love for Tassiger renewed, especially when you play, like you mentioned, low econ games where just you need this one thing that's going to generate value at some point and you find it with Tassiger and it just runs away with the game. Uh, I like having access to that, but... I guess it really depends what you believe the metagame will be doing. If you think you can freely give up your life total, then there's no question that Death Shadow is the most powerful creature in the whole format. Now, that gets checked when those conditions are not met. And when your life total does matter, things get a little scary. Right. And well, even even back to the first point where it's just like, oh, you know, Death Shadow is like the best threat or whatever. It's like, well, what if I'm not jamming it on turn two and I can't play it until turn three or turn four? Does that move the needle? Because... I'm playing a deck that is trying to play a longer game and mm-hmm. I have cards that are more likely to trade one for one with my opponent rather than having like Inquisition, Stubborn Denial and, you know, Fatal Push, Lightning Bolt, whatever your extra removal spells are, you know, like all those cards don't necessarily line up all the time and you can end up being on a low life total and just drawing like a Street Wraith or a Bobble that's a little too slow, you know, so like I'm playing a little bit more power and with that, I don't play Street Wraith. Okay. Is that bad? It hasn't been bad. I mean, like... It's weird. It's definitely weird, but like, look, this is how you move formats forward. You try things that people haven't tried before, and uh, if you have been able to cast your Death Shadows with... Basically, it's all about mana usage. Like, if the fact that your threat only costs one mana is super, super important to you. And I don't think you can just switch to Gurmag Angler in that situation, at least not like max Gurmag Anglers, max Tassigers, because like you said, your goal is thought scour your opponent. You need to turn on your Drown in the Lock, at least in the early game. Now, at some point that will change, absolutely. But it's a vulnerability that you're not super thrilled about introducing to yourself. And if all these boxes are checked and this is just the way you have to proceed and you have to be filling your opponent's graveyard then Death Shadow seems pretty clear to me. Brazen Borrower is interesting, and maybe that card is still underplayed in every format right now because you do still get to leave open mana, you get a utility spell, and 3-1 in the air is meaningful clock, absolutely, especially when you're dealing with fetch land, shock land, mana bases. That clock will come very quickly. Yeah, Borrower is good. I, th- I think it is, eh, like, not not straight up, but it, it is better in a lot of instances than Vendillion Click. And... Mm-hmm. Maybe that doesn't say much because Vendillion didn't see a lot of play or hasn't seen a lot of play, you know, just like a, a copy here or there. But right. yeah, Borrower just giving you something to do with your mana at all times. It's like, oh, I really didn't have anything to do with this excess spare mana and I get to set you back a decent amount. And that, that That's great. Agreed. Right there with you. And you should just be attacking with that card anyway. It's it is helpful reminder text. It is not downside. Mm-hmm. Does not want to block. But yeah, back to the, the Thought Scour thing. There, there are certainly hands where you have Thought Scour drown in the lock, and it's like, well, this is an easy choice, right? I just hit you. And then if you have Thought Scour Gurmag Angler, it's like, okay, well, we're going to trade. I'm going to Thought Scour myself, play out this 5-5. Five five, and then, I mean, if they're playing like Primeval Titan or some expensive spell that I'm going to need to counter, maybe I'm still better off just Thought Scouring them and waiting on the Gurmy or whatever. But, sure, you know, the deck has... 11 fetch lands currently, a bunch of cantrips, you know, it's, you're not turboing out on turn two necessarily, but yeah, like turn three, turn four is perfectly reasonable. And by slowing yourself down by a couple turns, you are just picking up things like counterspell, doomblade, split card, and you're just playing a slower game that 
tops out at like cryptic command and into the story like you can go super long against people and i don't know just playing against things like azorius control it's just like it used to be a tough matchup and it's, it's just a joke now i don't think that deck exists right now it's for not what it's worth, it doesn't but uh, I understand what you're saying. And I think against Urza, it'll matter a lot as well. Right. And that's another one where it's like, they're going to board in a bunch of like Veil of Summers and Mystical Disputes and spot removal spells. And you're just, you know, like you're not planning for it necessarily, but you're just going to have to play a long game against them because all of their cards trade with you very cheaply. They have a lot of good defensive measures against things like Death Shadow with Oko and engineered explosives and stuff, and you do need a way to kind of go over the top of them, uh, even though they have the Thopter Foundry combo. But like, if you have a couple ways to break that up, you know, like some additional counter spells or whatever, then mm-hmm. I think I think you're actually fine. And I don't know. My my first match in the league that I four o dropped was against Eli Cassis, and he wasn't playing like the Fair Urza. He was playing normal three color, four color Eli Urza things with Mystic Forge and stuff, and. Th- like that matchup just felt so easy because I had so many answers and I wasn't pigeonholed into this role of being a tempo deck, but I can still play like a tempo deck. Right. Love the strategic flexibility. One of my favorite things. And it's hard to instill that in modern decks. So like if you have done this successfully, I think you've done something very interesting for the format. That's not something we see a lot. These split role kind of decks. It's you're kind of pigeonholed into playing one ways a lot of the time with your modern deck. Either you're linear and you're just doing this one thing over and over or you're building to a very specific end game. You want things to look exactly like this and then you will find the win from that position. But this is a little bit more flexible, a little bit more versatile and uh, would be fun to have something like this added to the format. Yeah, I think the deck is good. I mean, I I did beat up a bunch of opponents and maybe they didn't really have any idea what was going on or how to sideboard. Certainly Mm -hmm. that matters. That matters. I I hate when people ignore this equity. There is equity in deception and people not knowing your plan. Right. I mean, if you sideboard like, Oh, I'm a, I'm a fish deck. Right. And you need just a bunch of spot removal. And then I start casting like cryptic command into the story. Like you're dead. You lose. Yep. Absolutely. So I, I will likely pick up some equity there and I, I do like the deck. I do think it's good. I don't think I like snapped it in half, but it's it's possible I did. I don't know. Well, you've given us something very interesting to watch in the modern rounds of the Invitational. I suppose I have to spoil my deck as well now. You do. Uh, I'm not playing. So this is much easier for me. I do have some friends and colleagues who will be playing the deck and are also quite high on it. You and I started talking actually last week after the bands hit Pioneer and we were just like, what does a mono green devotion deck look like in modern? And we started working on it a bit and none of the ideas were really coming together. We were super focused on Nyssa and then for a while I got derailed with Freed from the Real and... Things were just all over the place. Nothing really felt all that good. And then I found this new package where I, basically I needed to find the way to get away from Nyssa because I was so underwhelmed with that card. And it turned out to be Wistful Selkie, which is not what I expected. But now my Nykthoses are just always good. They're always producing huge amounts of mana. Uh, I'm leveraging Vivian extremely well at this point with sideboard options going up to Crater Hoof Behemoth, which is just stealing games all over the place. And it's hard to really understand how much damage 
a Vivian represents at this point until you've played the deck a bit. But assuming you have like some mana production online with a Vivian in play, there's spots where you're like, like say you have Bird of Paradise, Burning Tree Emissary, right? A garbage battlefield, your opponent has interacted with you in favorable ways at that point, and you're not really doing anything. And then you play a Vivian and you plus that Vivian and Burning Tree Emissary attacks for four. And then on the next turn, you minus that Vivian, go get a Crater Huff Behemoth with just Birds of Paradise, Burning Tree Emissary, Crater Huff Behemoth, that's 18 damage. And you pulled 22 damage from basically absolutely nothing. So getting Vivian on board was a huge unlock moment. It just has changed the situations you can play from so well. And I'm beating things like Jund very reliably, which mostly shouldn't happen with these decks. You should be very, very vulnerable. But you can just play this long game with Wistful Selkie into your Planeswalkers. I also have four Karn. So you have the Lattice Lock very early. I've won a bunch of games on turn three, but Karn can go long just as well. And you find more Walking Ballistas and Ensnaring Bridge if you just need to buy some time. And then there's this cool Devoted Druid synergy with... Vivian, where you get to make a bunch of mana through your devoted druid out of nowhere and just lattice lock your opponents. So basically, I think I found the secret sauce. Yeah, Leyline as well. Yeah, tons of mana there. And you just put a counter on untap one more time. Um, There's probably like spots where I guess if you have all four devoted druids out, you get infinite counters on anything else that's on the battlefield. That's kind of neat if you have a Leyline in play as well. I don't think that'll come up too often, but keep me posted if it does. Anyway, all of this has come together into a really cool mash of a deck that feels extremely powerful to me. It's got the consistency of Once Upon a Time and just winning games that I wouldn't expect to win, like reliably beating Tron over and over because you can race them or go wider than they can deal with. And you have Karn to shut down their Oblivion Stone, or you can even go get your sideboard collector roof if you need to shut it down the hard way. So a lot of strategic options. I've loved playing this deck so, so much. It will be posted in our Discord as of Friday. We sent it to patrons yesterday because I was pretty excited about this deck and I really wanted people to be able to give it some time and consider it as a valid option for this Invitational. I know some folks have. Really, really like it. Speaking of head games, Jonathan Carter going to be playing Mono Green Devotion in this tournament, I believe. Sorry, Jonathan, I just added you to all your opponents. You'll get over it. You're you're a fierce competitor. Jonathan Carter. Dude, they're not going to remember that name. This The two most generic names of all time. That if they don't, if they don't know him already, they're going to be like, Bob Smith? That was you, right? Yeah, you're playing Devotion. That is true. But yeah, I'm really into this deck. I think it's great. I don't know if I will write about it after this week is over, because I feel like we're probably going to be looking at a new standard, and I'll look to write about that instead. But like I said, over on our Patreon page, I ship that deck to our supporters and also i'm sure it'll be part of invitational coverage because i think we put out all the deck lists for the invitational maybe that's nope. not true maybe it's just day nope. two deck lists yeah nope, just day two that. it's it's like the not even the day two one no it's the seven one or six two and better decks and that's it oh that is awesome because that means i don't have to type up deck lists so i'm i'm actually really excited about that news okay message me on twitter i'll put it up after the tournament is uh through day one, I'll give people playing the deck time to have the full list secret. But if you hit me on Twitter, I'll make sure the list goes out after that. Dude, don't sell me out. I'm tempted now. It's good, man. I, I told you yesterday you should spend some time with the deck. It, it is very impressive. And, and and while we were talking, I was like literally playing games with Devotion, just the Allosaurus Rider version. Yeah. Which is not bad, you, by the way. I believe that. I mean, it's certainly a powerful angle to have access to, but this feels a little bit more consistent, a little bit more 
in line with what I want to do in the format right now. And I also want to bring up the point, this isn't really a Devoted Druid deck, mostly because it's good and all the Devoted Druid decks are bad. But <laughs> when Devoted Druid can succeed in modern, there's a very specific set of criteria and things are usually like super linear. And I think we're at that point right now. Now, Grixis Death Shadow is out there. Like I said, I was beating Jund reliably. I haven't tested the matchup against Grixis Death Shadow. And I've told everyone playing the deck that. So you need to do some research on your own there. I expect it's a hard matchup, but I would have said the same thing about Jund as well. And I, I think they should play out on somewhat similar axes. Uh, it's just a question of whether the clock of Death Shadow comes online much faster and that negates this longer term setup and really makes it hard for you to keep your planeswalkers around. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's a problematic matchup, but everything else feels really solid right now. I don't know. So when when we started talking about this, I had a lot of ideas in my head because there are a lot of different ways to take this. And I think you did a good job from looking over your list. Like I don't you have like some hydroid crises or whatever. I don't know if those necessarily belong in there and your sideboard's kind of mm -hmm. a mess, but like, I don't know. There's, there's still so much. And like Sam Black wrote about this for modern this week too. So like, yep. you know, pe people know about it, right? But yeah, this, this is either way. This is going to be one of the decks that I want to work on. I think that this idea is very close to breaking it. And I think my death shadow list is like a little more tuned than this and hopefully i get some time and i can actually play games with this and find out i don't know shout out to card hoarder for setting us up with loaner accounts so that we can just change decks at a whim it has been very oh, nice 100 percent. i've played so many things this week and i would not be able to do that without card hoarder sponsoring us so like you said shout outs to them it has changed the way i engage with magic online. I, I, I love magic online right now. I can't believe I'm saying those words in the Isn't year of our weird, Lord 2019. Man? It is insane. It makes no sense to me how we got to this place, but yeah, magic online has been great. Yeah. I don't know. I guess thanks card hoarder for wasting a bunch of Brian's time so you can play terrible decks. Love it. I, I just assume love that's it. what you've been doing. Oh yeah. A, a lot of terrible decks, but some promising ones as well. And some interesting ideas as well when it comes to the pioneer format, mostly but we can talk more about that as we go into that format. Yeah, Wistful Selkie, you were originally down on, so I'm kind of surprised to see that just be like the backbone now. Yeah, well, it's all about getting mana engines without having to play Nyssa. Like I said, I the struggle I kept coming up with was that my Nissas were not doing much, and it surprised me over and over, and I expected Nissa to be one of the best cards in the deck, but for whatever reason, it just wasn't playing out that way in my experience. The bodies weren't super meaningful in the modern context, and I wasn't really generating these huge mana turns, and then when I did, I didn't have anywhere I really wanted to put the mana, so my point was I needed to find a way to make sure that Nykthos was reliably doing the ramp that I was previously relying on Nissa to do. And with Wistful Selkie, it does that job much more reliably. You have some really busted openers with this deck where you go like, you know, turn one bird into Wistful Selkie. And this is in the absence of Leyline where you do the truly absurd stuff, but you go turn one bird into Wistful Selkie into like Burning Tree Emissary, play Nykthos, and you're just off to the races right there. You've already found yourself a very good start. Was it seven mana? Yes, plus still two lands untapped, correct? No, because you cast the burning tree. Right, right, right. Yeah, seven mana on turn three. So, I mean, that's not like, that's not busted territory, but that's no, Karn, but that's, go get, 
pithy needle for your opponent's oblivion stone, you know, a bunch of strategic options, assuming you right. have one of your four mana payoffs. And that's not even counting like double burning tree emissary, or sure. if you had a ley line or two ley yeah. line, you know, just Oath of Nyssa even at some point. Right. And right. Not that Oath necessarily fits well in that curve, but at least it's free on your seven mana turn, which is kind of neat. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this this deck is capable of doing a bunch of stuff, and this is not a thing that I would expect to be a mainstay in modern, but just the fact that there's a bunch of mid-range decks, and there are some big mana decks that are looking to prey on those decks, you have this deck that also does the big mana thing, but is fast and consistent. And you also have yep. like a, a fine like plan B beatdown plan, right? Like you just Vivian up some stuff and give them the biz. There's also the fact that your threats are diverse along a mana curve, which matters a lot in present modern. And again, one of the flaws of Devoted Druid is that Engineered Explosives lines up well against what you're attempting to accomplish in most instances. Engineered Explosives not as good against this deck as you would at first suspect, given the way its pedigree lines up. Like traditional green creature decks are just supposed to get trounced in those scenarios, and and you really don't here. Yeah, I mean, it, it is certainly going to do some damage, but at that point, if you have Nykthos or have accelerated into a four drop at that point, I mean, they're, they're so far behind and explosives does cost a lot of mana. So one of the versions of the deck that I was working on had Heritage Druid and Elvish Arch Druid and was like really trying to do busted stuff with Leyline. And mm-hmm. that one, I just could not see registering in a field of Urza with all their main deck explosives because it just didn't make right. any sense playing like 21 drops. But yep, that's that makes that's sense. another thing that could show up at some point. So don't sleep on Leyline, y'all. Uh, this is another one of those cards that got banned in Pioneer and rightfully so and might just like go up in price, oddly enough, because it's now going to see play in other formats. So it's kind of weird. Yeah, uh, this is one I've had on my radar for a long time. Day one of basically M20 standard. We were working on Leyline decks in standard and finding some success. So not surprised to see this card getting its heyday finally. And it's funny that like this is just an existing modern deck that was kind of revealed by the existence of the Pioneer deck. And we've right. been doing something like this the whole time and we needed Pioneer to show us the right direction. Yeah, it's weird. And then it's like, oh, you know, we want a two-drop man accelerator. I guess we play Devoted Druid. Should we play some Viziers? Because we're going to have like a Ballista in our deck somewhere and might as well just have a way to like backdoor into infinite mana. And Devoted Druid works really well with Leyline of Abundance. So like there's a lot of stuff going on there. There's Primal Command. Just so much. And I have I have no idea how to build this deck. Your, de- your deck does look good, though. Your version does. Yeah, I think there's some wiggle room. Like you said, the the crisis is interesting. There's an option for Primal Command. But another real big problem I was running into with first builds of the deck was where my Once Upon a Times weren't reliably hitting threats that mattered. Yeah. And I, I think that problem still does exist. And that's born of not playing a ton of those scaling cards like Walking Ballista and Voracious Hydra in the main deck. Right. But in terms of what you're trying to accomplish, I, I don't think you can do that. So I'm not sure what the perfect answer is to that. I would, in an ideal world, play just like Primal Command, one Ballista, one Hydroid Crisis, and have more virtual copies of each, but haven't quite found the setup to be able to achieve that thus far. So that's something I'm keeping my eye on. The number of Devoted Druids, I think, can be flexible. I have four right now. It's possible you want one fewer Devoted Druid and just like a ninth one mana accelerant. I think that's very defensible as well. But all of that can be sorted out as time goes on. And 
it, it feels so promising at this stage that I do think it's worth the time investment. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of sweet that you can just open on Leyline and then fetch Dried Arbor and have three on turn two anyway. Right, right. Another cool pickup from the transition to modern. Yeah, what? A, there was another four drop I thought about. Oh, Garrick Wildspeaker. Did you try that one? I haven't tried Garrick, mostly because since I switched to Vivian, I've basically been over the moon about it. Uh, it has just been perfect for this deck. The, both. All the angles are so good. Play both, man. Yeah, could be you want both. Uh, Karn is also really strong here too, though. So it's like, are you up to 10 format of Planeswalkers? Maybe, yeah, maybe that's just better than playing something like Krasis. Yeah, let's do it. And then if you ever open on Leyline Mana Creature, you, you're just You just always there, have you know? it. Yeah, I buy it. I, I buy that could be the way forward for this deck. I don't know. Whatever. All right. You might have tricked me. Uh, I have an article to write still tonight, and I think I might get suckered into playing some modern instead. So we'll see. Got him. All right. So why don't we move to Pioneer now? I don't have anything to trick you with when it comes to Pioneer. I tried a lot of stuff this week. Nothing was quite there. A lot of stuff felt close, but nothing that I'm wholeheartedly recommending at this stage. Uh, I was just planning on playing Devotion, so... Okay. Um, you I'm just think that's of, the best deck, despite I'm, all the bands that have come its way? So it's different, right? You're not necessarily doing the huge explosive things as early as you used to, but I think that that sort of stuff was out of line already anyway. And you still have Nykthos. You can still do a bunch of very powerful things, and those powerful things that people have decided on scale very well where it's like you can just play voracious hydra on turn two or turn three and it's completely reasonable and then late game is just this 2020 or whatever and ballista is basically the same thing so yeah i mean i just think the deck is like rock solid and there are some bad matchups creeping up here and there and maybe since devotion is at the forefront of everyone's mind like everyone knows that it's very good that maybe it's a bad idea to play it because if you just show up in a field like the PTQ where there's just like a lot of the Simic aggro deck and like maybe mono black is good against it. And just the, the format looks really different. Like it's entirely possible that the invitational moves very fast and the format is ready to adapt to it. That could be really bad. Like I could just be walking into a field of all bad matchups. Yeah. So with the most recent banning veil of summer now banned in pioneer, whatever yeah. reasons, Yep. reasons i guess and certainly a buff to thoughtsies right and if mono black was already sporting fine matchups it won the last ptq with a already powered up version of mono green although a lot of the mono green lists weren't even playing veil of summer but again we'll skip that point for the time being and just talk about mono black finding a lot of success right now is is that the move is everyone just picking up this deck i haven't heard as much buzz around a PTQ winning deck as you would expect when it comes to a brand new format, you think everyone would be hopping on board, but I just haven't seen a lot of mono black in the queues. It takes a very special type of person to want to night market lookout people. I think that's right. what it is. It's just like a lot of people see it and it's just like that. That's not a magic card. Is it? Cause like, I'm pretty sure it's not. And people are just ready to dismiss it. And then they just like, look at the second place deck and they're like, Ooh, Galta, you know, like that's a powerful magic <laughs> card. I'm in for that. I, I understand seeing the night market lookout and getting a little bit talked off it. Not a very impressive magic card, like you said. Yeah, these blue-green decks. I mean, I guess these came out of nowhere as well, and we're still unpacking the impact of these on the format right now. Uh, is this just like 
too big, too fast for something like mono green devotion? Does stubborn denial mess with you in any meaningful ways? It doesn't really feel like it does so given that most of your payoffs are creature based, right? Well, it's Nissa and Vivian. I mean, those are the the things that you invest the most into, right? And Yeah, yeah, that's true. This deck is already making five power on turn two a lot of the time. And then Galt is not far behind. They have like Oko to disrupt you a little bit too. They have ways to actually close the game and, you know, get some reach on you and stuff. So I don't know. I played against this deck last night uh, when I was recording a YouTube video and they smushed me, man. And and their deck looked good. Yeah. This top four actually just ultra aggressive. And that continues from the first place mono blacklist to the second and third place green blue aggro list to the fourth place green red aggro list and if you read my article i hyped up a green red deck quite a bit last week it looked very different from this one this one impresses me though and i've played against this a lot in the queues and it is very resilient and very very consistent i like going even harder into once upon a time than this fourth place list did but basically the setup is just like turn one mad accelerant Turn two, Lovestruck Beast or Goblin Rabble Master, or I've seen Legion War Boss cropping around. It's in this version as well. And then eventually you just have a big enough battlefield where you're making an Ember Cleave and dropping that on your tremendous Rabble Master and winning the game in one shot. But I've also been impressed by this deck's ability to go long. And it's born of the fact that every single threat in the deck is kind of standalone dangerous, like Rabble Master certainly is. Hazaret does just huge chunks of damage. Same with Legion War Boss, Lovestruck Beast ends the game very quickly. And then I've also seen versions with Chandra in the sideboard, so just stickier threats. This deck does a lot of damage very quickly and can find resiliency in post-board plans as well. So I'm pretty high on this list as well. Yeah, it does look good to me. I'm not sure which one is better, you know, having Ember Cleave and a bunch of the go wide stuff versus the the big toughness stuff in the, the Simic deck and having Stubborn Denial. I do feel like Certainly, if you're going off of this top four, then Stubborn Denial is not a card that you want to main deck. Right. I don't know. If you're expecting a bunch of like Phoenixes and stuff like that, then yeah, those those cards are certainly fine. Azorius Control is popping up a little bit more here and there too. And I don't think the, the, the Simic deck necessarily wants to play against that. Like Stubborn Denial doesn't stop their best card against you. It does stop some stuff, but... You have like low land count and you're relying a lot on your mana creatures to kind of carry you and you have Galtas and stuff. So like you really don't like being Supreme Verdicted, whereas the the Gruul deck, I think, just doesn't really care. You know, you just play like another war boss or whatever. I think Supreme Verdict is an incredible card in the format right now. I played it quite a bit this week. No list that I really fell in love with, but a few options out there, including... 32 land Animist Awakening that I played at one point, which was pretty interesting. I might return to that at some point. There were some things I needed to figure out, but I appreciated what that deck was capable of. And then there's other just big ramp strategies floating around out there. Typical Hour of Promise into Shrine of Forgotten Gods into Ulamog type ramp that you would expect to see. And uh, those decks look pretty scary to me. I do think they have some strategic vulnerabilities, but what they are capable of is undeniable. Yeah, it's kind of the litmus test for the format right now, honestly, is like, you know, can you can you beat a turn five Ugin or whatever it is? And with right. an Emrakul or Ulamog shortly after it, can you beat Field of the Dead? Things like that. Like these aggro decks really need to be able to answer those sorts of questions. And if they can, I think you find a recipe for success. 
I think that's why we've seen such success from the aggro decks that are packing disruption. The thought seizes, the stubborn denials, they have carried the day thus far. I would be remiss not to mention blue-red in Soul Artifact. I think that deck is also promising, very strong clock metallic rebuke as its form of disruption. There's just good disruption for all these options. So it's a little bit harder to sell me on an approach that doesn't use those same type of things. But at the same time, the raw efficiency of this red green deck gets at a lot of points. So maybe that's just worth enough where I don't care what you do. You're dead on turn four every single time overcomes my, okay, I've got this one piece of disruption. Does it hold and keep you off Ugin in the key spot? Because otherwise I can't, ever beat you under any circumstances right i think you need some natural counterplay in your deck and galta certainly qualifies i mean your galta is not going to live through like emrakul or ulamog but as far as playing that the turn before they play ugin you're in a good spot you know and they really just don't have a whole lot to to deal with it so galta actually looks pretty good to me people are playing like cast down and fatal push and it's like haha yeah, too big for those cards. Too legendary for one, too big for the other. I will note that like the red-green deck has Questing Beast, which maybe you can leverage in those type of situations to punish Ugin. But on the whole, this deck does seem more vulnerable. I'll have to see if it's still worth exploring. Yeah, I guess it's it's super awkward too, because it's like you have these sort of like food synergies. Heart of Kieran kind of counts a little bit, but Oko makes the foods green, so Ugin gets to still take them out if they're animated, which is kind of awkward. But right, yeah, just right, having right. having like a big colorless threat is another way to do it. And you've seen some of these decks like Simic branching out into like Thought Nazi or Reality Smasher, and that's another way to go about it. A lot of smugglers copters around this top eight, probably to nobody's surprise, we knew this card was very powerful. Please don't ban it. I like smugglers copter. I yeah. think it's a fine card to have around. Yeah, I like it. I think it's propping up like all the creature decks and it does cool like you know, discard graveyard synergy things, which I like. Yeah. Yeah. I've appreciated that stuff as well. So I would like to see smugglers copter around, but like, this is kind of what it got banned for the first time, right? It just goes in every aggro deck. And, uh, that was considered to be problematic. Maybe it is one more time. I, I mean, I don't really know. I don't, I don't know what the criteria is for pioneer bannings. I really don't. So I feel it, like it's, it's all out the window, man. I don't think any of it really makes a whole lot of sense anymore. Once upon a time is still legal and, Bail the summer got banned, so right, yeah. So we'll just have to see how that all shakes out. But we know what we're playing this weekend, and you are continuing to stick. Do we? I thought I did. Devotion. Yeah, I really hate that choice. I don't know how to break that to you. I like want to. I want to support what you're doing and uh, have your back. But I like it in modern. I like it much less when it comes to pioneer. I just have to. I have to be honest with you. No, please do. I mean, I I was kind of with you until. You know, we're talking about how all these aggro decks were just like, you know, smushing the other decks I was playing. And it was like, well, I never actually tested the the Devo deck. And I'm pretty sure all these aggro decks kind of rose up because they smushed the Devo decks. So that's not great. It's not a good place yeah. to be. No. And then even the people who aren't playing Devo or, or like decks that specifically beat it are playing Supreme Verdict Blue White or, you know, big ramp them ups into Ugin. It's or like, Ugin. I don't Yep. I don't like any of these matchups. What am I doing? No, I don't. I don't think you have any good matchups left. They're gone. All right. What am I supposed to play? Uh, like I said, I continue to think in soul isn't built all that well. The most most builds I've seen have some issues. I think you probably can invest some time and improve those. Uh, I think a black 
disruption-based aggro deck, be it something like vampires in eighth place. Maybe that's more your style. Maybe you find oh, some you mean joy zombies? in zombies, which is what I was going to say. Maybe you can make that happen again. I don't know. I think Soren is probably too good to pass up on, but maybe you could find a reason why zombies is defensible. Dude, what's what's better, Soren or Cryptbreaker? Be honest. Soren by a lot. Really? Yeah. Dude, one mana. Yeah. One mana is so by, good. <laughs> by a large, large mo- margin, Soren is this, a lot better. This vampire deck is offensive. It doesn't even have Copter in it. That does seem like a problem. I would change that. I was, copters. I was actually looking at vampires today, and it was like, all right, you know, this these cards all look legit or whatever, but, ah, oh, damn it, now I have to play modern and pioneer dude i don't have enough time for this well get hustling you're running out of time i will say while we go through this top eight i do not like phoenix right now i again i'm not sure where your good matchups come from i kind of haven't liked it for a while despite the fact that it's seeing a lot of success i just think it's getting more representation than it deserves and it was fine at testing the devotion decks and it probably is still fine at testing the devotion decks but these these new decks are not something I want to play against with these Phoenix lists. Something like Wild Slash into just huge green creatures is going to be incredibly disappointing. And they're often so threat light that that one thought sees is going to do a lot in a bunch of spots. Taking out Thing in the Ice is going to matter a lot. And your card quantity has to stay really high with these Phoenix decks because you don't have a ton of payoffs. So the rise of thought sees does not make me want to pick up Phoenix right now. So. Looking at this PTQ and all the aggro decks, two things. One, I think in Soul is not very playable because of how poor it is just naturally positioned against other aggro decks. Like, you don't want to play Bomat Courier in the Lovestruck Beast format. You don't want to play like Red Removal. Do you think do you think flying matters? Because that that's where I fall. I think like flying is still a valid means of going about attacking. It does, but it's only it's such a small part of your game plan, right? I mean I guess Ginger Brute, sure. And this person is like maxing maxing on skilled animators. So yeah, I guess that's probably the right way to do it. And then you just try and close them out with Shrapnel Blast. So maybe, I don't know. You've got Hope as well. Hope of Gearper. You can put your Ensoul on your Smuggler's Copter and get a Flyer. I mean, I, I think there's more Flyers than you're giving it credit for. More Evasion than you give it credit for. But I, I will admit that the bulk of my time around these strategies was pre the explosion of these large green aggro decks as well as the black aggro decks yeah certainly this deck would not want to play against a, a black aggro deck that like kind of slants mid-range you know yeah fatal push is a problem yeah fatal push all the disruption uh you just end up i mean the deck that won the ptq also has murderous riders so like they're playing more removal spells than you would normally expect so yeah all, all of that stuff seems kind of problematic and then there was another thing that I was going to say, but I lost it. Oh, just that if there's a bunch of aggro, I do want to see what the best deck with a bunch of removal in it is. And Phoenix certainly comes close to that. I just uh, posted a sideboard guide on our website for patrons for Is It Phoenix? Because I think I finally figured out like how I want the deck to be built, at least for right now, before I was trying the Tome Scour stuff. And that made a lot of sense where the format was. But right now it's like you need to kind of tone that back and like actually just play more of a fair game. And then in a lot of matchups, I'm siding out Arclight Phoenix, but that's because I'm siding into like more of a control deck. So don't, don't be too like scared off by that or anything. And 
Certainly, if your opponents are playing like green creatures with no interaction, Thing in the Ice is quite good. This is like the only deck in the format that gets to play like 16 spot removal spells too. So that that could be pretty sweet. And then for the sideboard, I was playing Brazen Borrower into Glory Bringer. And I think that that is the way mm. to dodge the sideboard hate. Okay. Yeah, Glory Bringer is solid right now, for sure. Yeah, maybe we should play Gruel with that card. What can we do with that? That's interesting. Just continually get bigger with our gruel list. I don't hate it. Doesn't work all that well with Ember Cleave because it's more of like this big standalone threat. But mm-hmm. still, think that's okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know. If you're if you're comfortable with these Phoenix lists, then that's one thing. I I'm not high in the archetype, but if you've got your reps in and you think you found something out, more power to you there. I would like to see you invest some time in this first place list, because this looks like something that could be cleaned up. And let me tell you the thing I love about this list more than anything else. You get to play 24 lands in your aggro deck because you have four Mutavault and four Castle Lockdwain. The fact that your deck can potentially garner like six damage and draw four cards from its mana base over the course of a prolonged game is incredible. Like that's just incredible, incredible utility from your mana base. And it's something that no other deck can really offer. And the castles were the number one card on my top 10 list when we were reviewing Throne of Eldraine. Now, granted, that was in the standard context. In the aftermath of Oko, I get that that looks stupid, but whatever. Our top 10 lists always look stupid. That's the that's what happens when you do top 10 lists. But I still stick by my analysis that these castles are just incredible, incredible magic cards. They have so much value tacked onto them. And it's not surprising that there is very early on in the Pioneer format, a deck that really makes its lever- its living off leveraging its mana base very well and getting the most out of it possible. Yeah, I think the castle is definitely going to be activated in most games. I don't know, four. It's just kind of free to play four. So you just do. I think so, yeah. Yep. But Mutavault is the one where I, I think it's just one of the most underplayed cards in the format. It's hard. I mean, the mana isn't supportive of it in most instances, and this is the one real exception to that in the format right now, and you see it's getting paid for it with a PTQ victory right off the bat. Yeah, monocolored aggro. I mean, I would want to do something a little bit more synergy-based with Soren or Cryptbreaker in my black decks, but I get the angle. I, I see what's happening. I understand the appeal of Night Market Lookout, but... I don't have to like it. It's just crazy that that's the best one drop, right? That seems almost unfathomable to me. No, I looked. It's it's like Vicious Conquistador and just nonsense. Okay. I mean, Knight of the Ebon Legion is so far beyond that card. It's kind of laughable. Yeah, it's it's not close. Obviously, Knight is the best one. Like, I, I want to put Knight into my zombie deck, right? And just like I want to put Crypt Breaker in any black deck I play. Right. Blood Soak Champion is better than Night Market Lookout as well. Uh, and then things kind of fall off a cliff, for sure. Well, this this list only has the one, right? Oh, one Gutter Bones. No, it's bones. one okay. Gutter Bones for Blood Soak Champion, which I, I understand why we're doing that, because it comes into play tapped, so Smuggler's Copter does not interact well with Gutter Bones. Yeah, I mean, it kind of does, right? Because Blood Soak Champion enters the battlefield, whereas this goes to your hands. So maybe you can keep discarding it, but like that is definitely a thing that this deck doesn't really want to be doing. Right, like, right, right, right. Okay, there's that synergy. I think it's more important to just have an untapped immediate Smuggler's Copter activation, but I get what you're saying. Yo, what if I play this deck, but instead of Night Market Lookout, I play Crypt Breaker, 
And instead of Blood Soak Champion, I play Stitcher Supplier. There's already Scrap Heap Scrounger. I could get some Price Amalgams in here, some cats, some ovens. All right, hold on, hold on, hold on. You had me at the first few sentences there, and then somewhere things went completely off the rails when Prized Amalgam showed up and Cat Ovens were also being slotted in. Do you know how good Cat Oven is with Prized Amalgam? It, yeah, it's it's great. Dude, it's, it's nice. Well, busted. I, I don't know about busted. Quote me on that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I want to go that far. But yes, I encourage you to explore these type of things. I am less encouraging of the mono green idea but it is a it's a, it's a fail safe like you have a fallback option it's going to be fine even where decks try, try to account for it it's a very very resilient very powerful deck and i'm sure you will still find your wins uh it just feels like we can do better well thankfully i haven't submitted my deck list yet so i can you know throw all that stuff in the garbage and by that okay. i mean throw it into my modern deck box instead sure the good thing about Cat Oven is that it allows you to cut these duresses for drill bits, too. Think about that. That is nice. I will give you that. And it can certainly matter against the decks you're expecting to play against. So good upgrade. All right. Hour and a half into this podcast, 30 minutes of nonsense. And then I would think like 30 minutes of each format. I, not bad. Not bad. And now yeah, that's less than we usually waste talking about nonsense. So. Yeah. And now we get to talk about even uh, more nonsense when we go to the podcast questions. Are you excited? I'm so excited. What do you got for me? Uh, so in case this is your first time listening every week, we solicit the fine folks in our discord for their burning questions. We pick our favorite one answer on the cast. They get a sweet arena deckless pin. Since we are talking about the SCG Invitational and its dual format nature, and especially since uh, Standard was dropped for Pioneer, and this is Pioneer's first foray into real life, really. Uh, obviously, a lot of questions about stuff like that, and got a few of them that are, you know, fairly close to being linked to each other. So I'm just going to go through a few questions uh, real quick. Uh, this one comes from Drancel. When preparing for a major tournament that's multiple formats, how do you define success at that event? Is it only if you top eight or win the event, or would you feel successful by performing well in the pioneer portion of this event, even if your modern results aren't uh, as good as expected? Basically, what needs to happen for you to walk away from an event like this and leave you feeling like you've improved as a magic player? I mean, being successful and feeling like you improved are different things. It's important to note that, but also, I mean, everyone else has their own metrics for success and for me, I just want to, you know, try and make good choices for each tournament. So if I thought I made a great deck choice in Pioneer and a very poor choice in Modern, although granted the way the cast went, I feel like I might do the opposite, then I would be like kind of happy and kind of sad, right? Because on, on one hand, you checked one of the boxes and it's like, well, if you had a great deck in the other format or even maybe just a reasonable deck, like maybe you could have won the tournament and I, I basically just want to make decisions that allow me to get closer and closer to winning those events, right? I mean, I, I think that should be the goal. And eventually, if you make good decisions enough times, you will find yourself reasonably uh, often finishing in the cash or finishing in top eight, maybe eventually winning. And yeah, that's that's basically it. I mean, I, I feel like if I nail both formats and just get smushed, I, I still feel good about it. You know, I'm maybe a little bittersweet because of how the game's played out or maybe I made some mistakes or whatever. But at the end of the day, you should still be pretty happy with that. In general, I am happy with 
any magic event I can walk away from and say that I learned something at, just something that I figured out or some good conclusion that I made or something that's going to benefit me in the future. That's all I need to take away to consider it a success at this stage of my magic career. Uh, but like you said, everyone's different. So you, you have to define success for yourself. However you define it, that's totally acceptable. You get to decide what was a good tournament for you. I will say the pain of crushing one format and getting trounced in another one in a split format event, it's it's real. And it leads to more regrets than basically anything else where you're just like, oh, if I had just done the safe thing in this one format, things would have broken so far in my favor. I get the fear, but ultimately it's the same as preparing for any other magic tournament. You just have to do your best and sometimes you'll have it. Sometimes you won't. You got to kind of have it twice when it comes to things like the Invitational. Even if you don't, there's still always progress to be made. You just have to learn to identify that progress. Right. And yeah, in in those instances, it sounds like you did learn something like you learned probably a little bit on how to prepare better for those sorts of events. Yes. Yes. I mean, I learned a valuable lesson, I think, about trusting in my conclusions. And really, this was the specific instance I'm thinking of was about taking the safe choice in draft and standard where I crushed draft and then took an extremely safe choice in standard despite having what I thought was a good deck otherwise and then just got trounced out of day two at the PT and it it, it was tough it, it's tough to have that regret in the past but like I said I learned something from it and uh, I'm I'm much more willing to take risks these days which I think is a good thing all right next one up from Sancron what does it take for a person to balance the two format meta of a tournament and how do you approach testing for the event does it help playing two two decks with similar strategies to each other i.e two control decks or two aggro decks i i've had this happen uh, a few different times like it's come up a few times where i've played two control decks and just felt physically exhausted by the end of it but mm. there are also times where i've played like a control deck in an aggro deck and i've found it very difficult to switch gears so i don't know i obviously with practice, you will be able to figure things these things out and figure out what works for you. So for for me now, it is mostly just about trying to make the best choice for each. And if that involves me playing like blue, white, no win conditions in one format and burn in the other, like I'll do that. I don't care. Yeah, I think they're two different tournaments, essentially. Like you look at them as what you would choose if you had a modern tournament and what you would choose if you had a pioneer tournament. And there's no real overlap as far as those two choices go, uh, as far as the difficulty switching gears, that's not something I've ever felt before, which is interesting, but that feels like something that would definitely be within the range of the mental struggles I have with the game where I get in one mode and then have a hard time getting out of it. But I don't know. None of that is really coming to mind. I think you just, you fear it a little bit, but then you sit down to play the game and your muscle memory kicks in and you're like, if you're prepared enough with your deck, you'll just be like, okay, I don't, you know, I'm not aggressively burning my lightning bolts at someone's face on turn one in my Jeskai control deck. Like, I, I know what I'm doing here. I've done this a million times, and you very quickly fall into that rhythm again. Yeah, it's not about, you know, just being like, oh, I'm a burn deck. I'm going to bolt you. And it's like, oh, I should have killed your creature. Sure, that, that was reductive. I, sure. I know, I know. But it, so maybe the problem with me has been round one of any tournament has always been kind of difficult to like get in the groove or whatever. Just like my, my brain's a okay. little slow and yeah, me too. Okay. Yeah. So 
this this happens a lot, even like switching from draft to standard or draft to modern at the PT level, where I feel like just like a little rocky to get things going. And then by like round three, I feel good again. And I don't really remember the draft rounds or it's like not ingrained anymore, but it it's a little rough for whatever reason. Okay. Yeah, mine's a little bit different. I, I get that same fogginess when I'm first playing, but once I'm magicking, I'm basically unlocked at that point. And at some point, it doesn't matter the type of magic. It's just I need to get enough magic in to get that sort of flow state going and get my understanding where it needs to be. And then the format becomes irrelevant once I hit that threshold. All right, two more. Uh, this one's from Scraw. This is my first dual format event that I'll be participating in. Uh, says they top aided a regional to qualify, so congratulations. And my testing ended up being almost exclusively focused on Pioneer since I felt a lot more comfortable making a deck choice in Modern. Is it a bad idea to focus on one format more heavily than the other when playtesting for a dual format event? I think it's basically up to you. You know, if you're if you're coming in completely blind then I don't think that you should focus on one format rather than the other because you're going to need help in both formats. But uh, you top eight or regional, uh, presumably those were the SEG modern regionals. So, I mean, you, you kind of have a good understanding of that format already, it seems like. So I think that your decision to do that is totally defensible. And you can also make the argument for like, there's a lot more to potentially be gained by preying on people who are less familiar in pioneer, you know, like there's not really going to be a pioneer expert in the field outside of Todd Anderson and everyone's just kind of in the same boat, especially for people who have been traveling the last couple weekends, uh, playing tournaments of their own. So just do whatever it takes to make you feel comfortable. And I, I just don't want you to be like, Oh, what should I play? And then not know the answer or not be able to justify it, you know, like just do enough so that you are confident in your decision making and you feel like you have a semblance of an idea of what's going on, you know? Yeah, I never feel like I have anything to offer to these questions because it's all just this big time management problem. And like, what's the ideal answer? Spend a bunch of time on both of them. But that's not the way this works. We all have limited time and limited amounts we can do in our preparation and you have to prioritize where you need prioritizing. And if you're comfortable in modern, I don't think there's any problem with focusing on pioneer. Like Jerry said, there's some good excuses or maybe not excuses, maybe reasons for focusing on pioneer over modern, but ultimately it's just about where you find your comfort and getting to a place where you feel like you're prepared. So if you trust in your modern stuff, go for it, spend all your time with pioneer. Yeah, I mean, the argument also exists that, like, if you're good at modern and you mo know modern, it's possible that you could figure out a way to break the format or tune a deck in a specific way to make it really good for this tournament. And just because you're more familiar with it means that you have a, a higher chance of, like, actually breaking it or building, like, an excellent deck instead of just merely two good ones. So it's it's really hard to say. There's no answer. I mean, you're exactly right. Uh, you can look at this a million different ways, and that's why it's just about personal comfort. I think that's what it will always boil down to. Yeah. And then last question from Marcus, and I shouldn't have even picked this one because it's just a trolly meme question, but when Jerry wins the Invitational, what token is he picking? I I think it's got to be food at this point, right? Like you can't just not slam dunk food. It just doesn't make any sense. I think the assumption is whoever wins this is going to be food. It's and a near certainty, certainly the most exciting exciting token in a very long time. And I think this was true when it was just like a standard token you could be. Now that Oko's in every single conceivable format, 
it's a slam dunk. It's it's food 100%. Um, wait, wait, wait. Check I'm this assuming- out. What about elk? I So <laughs> I, I don't know if I can talk about that. I don't think you can do elk. I don't think you can. It's not a token. And that's usually their threshold for what you're allowed to do for these things. Hmm. So maybe they would make an exception here. I don't know. Elk would be good under those grounds, but I I think you may not be able to do it. That's my guess. Okay, so this is this is the part of me where I feel like I can basically get away with anything, right? So if okay. it were me and I, I sit down with like Cedric and and Papa Pete and they're like, nah, dude, you can't do elk. Elk's not a token. I'd be like, well, make me an elk token. And then I will just tell everyone to like cut the picture out of it or whatever and use that as the the frame to put over cards or whatever. You know, sure. I feel like I feel like I'd be able to argue my way out of it. I, I feel like I could have been a lawyer, man. You can give it a shot. I don't know if you're going to be successful. And I think you displaying a tombstone pizza would be pretty sweet. I mean, you probably can't specifically be a tombstone pizza. I've thought about it. I've thought about it. Yeah, that's just good branding. Yeah, those random daydreamy things. I mean, realistically, what food would be for me is just a can of Red Bull, right? It's like I I eat one (laughs) one meal a day and just subside off Red Bull. So, Correct correct yeah i don't know I, I mean i don't know maybe this is where your sponsorship finally comes in with red bull is you say hey look i have this opportunity to make a token i would love to have red bull on it let's i let's ink this deal let's get it okay. done right now all right check this out so cross this bridge when we get there but i think i could make that happen and i okay. think it would also be funny if it's just me holding a can of red bull and then people are like food token what the hell? <laughs> right. There's no food, food here. And it's like, yeah, that's the joke. But like, I think that's actually just like bad marketing for Red Bull, right? Right. I, th- I also think this is going to get pushed back against. I mean, if you can't do elk, you definitely can't do what you're describing right now. Dude, but what if I hook up SCG with like a, you know, working relationship with Red Bull? Okay. You report. First of all, let's let's focus on you. How do they say no winning? Let's focus on you winning this invitational. In fact, we should stop this discussion because you need to go do some testing if this is even going to be an issue. No, I need so, to go write my article, man. That's what I need to do, which is going to involve me continuing to write about decks that you have talked me out of. So good job. Okay. Sorry about that, SCG readers. No, I guess I'm locked in. And in that case, no testing needed. And then we can just do these wacky hypotheticals all day. Sounds fantastic. All right. That's game.